What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American chicken tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponko is great and Ponko is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast, the Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back. To the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're taping this on a Monday night. Um, it's a week since the quarantine's happened, uh, but you know what? Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports is still here anyway. Chris, thank you for being a trooper. Hey, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully everything's good on your end. I'm not technically uh, quarantined, but my family, my wife, my two daughters, and I were doing the whole social distancing thing, taking it pretty seriously. We're going on two full weeks of like beyond taking walks, not doing a whole lot outside the house. But fortunately, we still have technology. We can still record a draft podcast. So that's good. Oh, that's right. We're going to be talking about the draft in this podcast because that's what you're, you specialize in. I think we should probably talk about the draft tonight. Yes, definitely. That is my area. I'm not going to say of expertise, but that's how you said it, where I specialize. Definitely. There you go. I don't specialize in anything, so I'm always fascinated to talk to people about something like this because I I don't know. I can tell you about the 2003 college football season. I can tell you about um, why Kawhi Leonard won in, like is the best player in basketball, but I cannot tell you everything possible about the NFL draft. That is not my thing. I like knowing a lot about a little thing. So I, that is just me. So I'm always fascinated to talk to people who um, specialize in certain things. And for you, it is the NFL draft. And the NFL draft is still allegedly happening. Uh, putting some quotes around that, uh, depending on 
what comes out uh, from the news in the next couple of weeks. We assume that everything's going to still happen. We're not going to get the boat entrance in Vegas. <laughs> that looks like that's out, unfortunately. Um, but with the draft still penciled in to happen at some point on the horizon, I think we're what exactly a month out. Yeah, April twenty third. Um, five days after my birthday, actually. So I want to start because you know it's not interesting to talk about Joe Burrow. I, I think um, I'm good on talking about Joe Burrow, reading about Joe Burrow for a while. We all know he's great. We all know he's going number one. We all know the Bengals are going to take him. We all know that uh, that's the thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. After that, I think that's where things get interesting. And I I have no idea where Tua Tungabailoa is going to go. It seems very likely that he's going number two, or at least the number two quarterback taken. Where does your gut tell you Tua is going to land after the clean bill of medical health that he just got. I still think uh, that he's going to land with the Miami Dolphins. That's what my gut is telling me right now. But having covered and evaluated a lot of drafts um, over the past decade, I go into every draft, and we are one month away, expecting the unexpected. And that doesn't mean I think like the Patriots are going to trade up from 23 overall to number two to, to pick Tua, but that there's a bunch of teams like you kind of were saying that you, you're not really sure where he's going to go. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the chargers made a move for him. Um, probably not the Carolina Panthers anymore now that they signed Teddy Bridgewater, but it just seemed like everything when the dolphins were seemingly tanking last season, they ultimately won five games was all to secure to a tongue of Iloa um, in this draft. The only thing that, it, that why it's a huge mystery. And you said, if he gets a clean bill of health, which he is moving in that direction, there hasn't been any setbacks um, is that we just don't know how different team doctors would evaluate him. And I think this uh, coronavirus is not good for him because there's, mm-hmm. there's a medical recheck every year. Um, like a month and a half after the combine. So guys that like couldn't participate at the combine, they actually fly back to Indy and like the NFL doctors uh, give them a full physical. And that we see almost every year, like it doesn't really make a ton of headlines because there's usually not someone as high profile as Tua. Um, But, oh, this offensive lineman, he got, you know, the green light from the doctors. He's fine. He got a clean bill of health. For Tua not to be able to do that, to maybe not have his workout in early April um, at Alabama where he could really show that he can drive from his lower half, his hip is okay, that probably hurts him a little bit. So it's like he's a very advanced quarterback prospect, doesn't have a big arm, and then like I was just kind of insinuating, if he can't drive off his lower half, then you're talking about this really advanced quarterback prospect that – doesn't really have an NFL caliber arm because I would say fully healthy. His arm is about average, maybe a little bit above average NFL wise. Um, but yeah, that's why there's almost so much more mystery with him because there could be, you know, a team like the dolphins that says, Hey, look, our coaches want him, but this guy, we do not believe that his hip is going to last 10 to 15 years in the NFL. They could label him as a high risk injury prospect or, right behind them the chargers the panthers a mystery team later the oakland raiders um in the middle of the first round could say hey look like we are totally fine with taking him let's make an aggressive move so he is it's good that you started off with him because he is the most uh 
the biggest wild card, the, the most X factor type of prospect, not just early in the draft, but his where he's ultimately selected will ultimately really shift what happens on April 23rd. If the draft still happens then. Yeah. I am. I also wonder too, which is something that feels under talked about is that um, the Redskins haven't put like hired a GM yet. Like they reassigned a bunch of people. They dismissed Bruce Allen. Ron Rivera seems to be the head honcho there and they outlined their plan to hire a GM. I think the last reporting I saw was after the draft. Like that was their plan is after everything's done, then they're going to go that route. But like, who do you call for the number two pick? Are you calling Doug Williams? Are you calling Dan Snyder directly? Like, I I don't understand what's going on in Washington on that front with all the moves they're making. And they released a bunch of people today. Um, I don't know. Do you think that complicates things to move up to number two? Because if you're a team that like the Dolphins or someone else that wants to kind of get into that zone, do you even know who you're dealing with and like what kind of package a team like Washington would be looking for to move out of that number two spot? Well, unfortunately for any Redskins fans listening, uh, it's kind of par for the course for the Redskins under Daniel Snyder. Like they've really been a mess for the last 20 years with different firings, with how long Bruce Allen was there. And you're right, like to be kind of succinct about it. I don't know who you would be talking to. They haven't really outlined who has the most authority. They did not come out and say like, hey, we hired Ron Rivera, a coach that was very successful in Carolina, was in the Super Bowl a few years ago. He has the final say on the roster. They didn't really say that. So um, I can't really answer that. I don't know if anyone knows. I'm sure some or most general managers know. Maybe that's the only thing that truly matters come draft night. Um, but I will say that it seems as though because of Ron Rivera's standing that, like I said, he's a pretty well-respected coach. One of the more successful guys that was on the market a few months ago. Um, everything that we've heard about them being interested in Tua Tonga Bailoa, um, I think we need to take seriously. And with the Arizona Cardinals, what they did the last two drafts, um, setting the precedent of drafting Josh Rosen and then trading him and then drafting Kyler Murray, uh, I think teams and coaches and GMs realize now that the NFL truly is the not for long league. And I've said that on a lot of podcasts, I've written it, um, a lot of radio spots because I, I have to continue to put that narrative out there because you can be Sean McVay one season and then the next year you're missing the playoffs and people don't view you the same way. Or you could be, you know, the San Francisco 49ers picking second in the draft and then you're in the Super Bowl. So I think teams realize like we don't have four, five, six, seven years to build this. Well, I'm the GM or I'm the head coach. Uh, so I, I think Chase Young will ultimately go there because of Ron Rivera's background. Ryan Kerrigan's a little bit older. They have invested a lot on the defensive line recently. Um, but I, I do think, however, you have to communicate with the Redskins. I think teams will call um, and ultimately see if they'd be willing to, to trade back. I personally think they should trade back because Chase Young is an amazing prospect. I don't think him being on the team takes them from the bottom team in the NFC East to like playoff or Super Bowl contender. Could two extra first rounders and an extra second rounder ultimately do that? I think three really good players is better in the ultimate team game of football than one elite player at the edge rusher spot. But I do think Chase Young will ultimately be the pick, but it it is kind of a messy situation uh, in Washington. Would you, 
Would you like in your your draft grades after it happens? If they were to just throw a curveball and just take Tua, what would you what would you give them? Would that be defensible for you? Yes. Yeah, I'd, I would be fine with it. I would probably give them like a B plus for that. Um, and, and and really, the only reason not giving them an A would be because of what I said before about the injury history. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's again like. Me being a draft analyst, I, I'm coming on this podcast, I'm going on other podcasts, writing truly my opinions, my evaluations of these players. I'm sure there would be the consensus would be, why would they do this? They just drafted Dwayne Haskins, you know, give him a you know, two off seasons. I could understand that logic, but from my own evaluations, I've watched all the throws of these players the last couple of years, two is a much better prospect than Dwayne Haskins was. I mean, Dwayne Haskins statistics were outstanding at Ohio State, but that was you needed a lot of contacts to see the 50 touchdowns, the 70% completion. There was a lot of short throws. There was tons of NFL talent at receiver. The offensive line was outstanding. Um, not really particularly accurate down the field. Um, pretty slow-footed against pressure, um, and he didn't he didn't have a terrible rookie season when he started down the stretch. But it wasn't anything that I think any logical Redskins fan is saying, Hey, we, we really have something here. Let's keep building with Dwayne Haskins, but I just don't know about Tua's hip. And I'm, I, I'm not going to be able probably to find out the, the true information about what his hip, um, you know, where it's at and it has it fully regenerated. Is he going to be okay? But Tua is a better prospect than Dwayne Haskins quarterbacks, the most important position. Um, so it would certainly, like you said, be a huge curveball at the beginning of the draft, but, I would be fine with it. I, I mean, no one on this staff now, I mean, maybe there's a few holdovers, but Ron Rivera has no connection to Dwayne Haskins. Um, to not have a GM is, is kind of weird, but I would be fine with them saying, hey, we can upgrade at the most important position. We don't want to pick number two overall anymore. Let's pick Tua um, and see what can happen after a quarterback competition. Maybe we can be like the Arizona Cardinals and get a third and a fifth rounder for Dwayne Haskins. So I, I would not hate that if they did that on draft night, honestly. What would you, you know, what's interesting is like, because we, it's a recency bias with so many different things in sports, mm-hmm. but like thinking about this past season before Joe Burrow really, really broke through and people were like, Oh, he's going number one at raw because it, it's easy to look at that now. as like a no brainer, but we didn't think about that in September. Yep. Like no one was looking at Joe Burrow as a guaranteed. It, this was to a tank for two. It was a thing. Yep. Um, Chase Young throughout the course of the season was like the the guy where all NFL draft scouts that I read and think about and all that kind of stuff, they're all like, no, this is by and large the best prospect. Like mm-hmm. he is better than all the quarterbacks, better than everybody else. Like this is, he's just in a league of his own. And if you're ranking prospects one on down, it kind of reminds me of the Saquon Barkley stuff yep. um, from a couple of years ago. Are you at all surprised that people have kind of forgotten about Chase Young? And do you think part of that is just how the end of his season went at Ohio State? Do you think that like played a role in just Burrow's rise and Young disappearing and the suspension and all the other stuff where he lost that momentum? Because it does seem like you need momentum going into this time of year to um, keep your place atop people's draft boards and to get people writing about you over and over again. But do you think people were just bored of talking about how great Chase Young was and how unstoppable he was? So he just kind of has fallen falling behind because it just doesn't seem like anybody's really talking about him anymore yeah i think what you just outlined is is probably this weird phenomenon that did happen that people were kind of bored with chase young that they're like this guy's so good okay put him at number one that's it 
And he got pressures in the college football playoff game against Clemson. Didn't really make a ton of huge plays. Ohio State loses the game. And it is kind of crazy how if you don't have like an awesome bowl game, then you don't have a lot of momentum going into the pre-draft process. He decides to not work out at the combine, which I totally understand. He didn't have anything else to prove um, to a lot of NFL teams. Um, but yeah, he's just been penciled in at the top and he's not a quarterback for so long. I think that's why there's not a ton of buzz. Now, do I think that like the Redskins view him very highly? And, and if the Redskins didn't pick him, like the Detroit Lions at number three would instantly call that pick in? Yes. So I, I don't think like we're going to see some weird fall for Chase Young. Um, but I will say this, though, and kind of like you mentioned, the middle portion of his season was unreal. Like there was a two or three game stretch where he had like six or seven sacks, like was unblockable run plays, pass plays wasn't as good down the stretch. He didn't get completely blanked by some of the better offensive tackles that he faced, but it wasn't like as dominant, like Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, Julius Peppers type of play that we saw from him most of last year. And then the early portions and the middle parts of this season, I think he's going to be similar to Nick Bosa, his former teammate at Ohio state, come right in, be one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Do I think he's like a guy like, and we, and this gets thrown around every draft process. Is he a once in a generation prospect? No. I mean, we just had both the Boses recently. Miles Garrett is super good when he's on the field. Crazy athlete. We have a lot of good pass rushers coming into the league every year. Is he going to be one of the best um, right way? I think what you pointed out is kind of funny how, this whole pre-draft process works and that momentum definitely is a thing as we get into February and March and Chase Young doesn't really have a lot of it because we haven't really seen him. Obviously not at the senior bowl, not at the combine, everyone talking about Joe Burrow and Tua like us. And that's probably why he's not having a lot of buzz as we're getting into April. Yeah, but we shall see what happens there. Um, Offensive tackles. It doesn't seem like this is a very good draft if you're in need of a starting left tackle uh, for the future. Is that fair? Are there any offensive tackles that profile as uh, a top five offensive tackle um, at the left spot in the next 10 years? Actually, this is the best offensive tackle class that we've had in the draft in a, quite a long time. There's been four or five drafts okay. in a row. Yeah, where the offensive linemen in general and offensive tackle, like if you look at the first rounders, 2019, 18, 17, go back a few years, you're like, oh man, all these guys, like, those are supposed to be the safe picks and they have not really panned out. It's mostly been the second and the third day guys, the better value that have become the the better players for whatever reason. Um, to just run through them very quickly, Tristan Werfs from Iowa had a historic combine. He's a true junior, set uh, weight room records at Iowa, even as a sophomore, super strong, super athletic probably in the top 10. Andrew Thomas from Georgia. His footwork could get a little better, can get sloppy at times, but the last two years, he was a big recruit, um, was just super clean as a run blocker, got better as a pass protector this season, super long arms, very powerful too. Jedrick Wills from Alabama, who protected Tua Tungavailoa's blind side, so he was a right tackle. Um, very technically sound, plays with good low center of gravity, very powerful too. Um, pretty good feet. I don't think he's like an insane athlete. He did test pretty well. I didn't see that, that kind of 
twitchiness or explosion in his feet, but he's ready to be an NFL right tackle right away. Um, I guess if you want to try to move him to left tackle, you could. Um, Makai Becton is the guy that I think has the most ability to rise, maybe even inside the top five, could go to the Giants at number four overall. He's 6'8", he's 360. Um, there's videos online of him playing basketball in high school. Looks like a point guard out there. Um, ran right around a uh, five-second 40-yard dash, which at that size profile is like unreal. Um, absolute bulldozer in the run game. Pretty good pass protector, just incredibly long. Like to get around him to the quarterback just takes so long, like just because of the geometry of it. Um, so he's a, certainly a first rounder too. And then Josh Jones from Houston, kind of just across the board, a solid player. He's not crazy athletic. He doesn't have these crazy measurables either. Um, but in a kind of a lesser conference in the American East conference, he. Um, just dominated like run blocking getting to the second level very under control his footwork was a little sloppy um but by his senior season um he cleaned that up his kick slide in pass protection got a lot better this year just hard to find him look out of place or whiffing on film and then he went to the senior bowl um to kind of play up in competition and during the week of practices in mobile alabama looked the part of a first rounder. So those five players for sure um, are going to go in the first round. And I think, I mean, I'm not going to say that all five of them are going to be all pros in two years, but I, I just feel really good about that top end group as a whole. And that's kind of the consensus. Those five players, um, a lot of teams seem to be really high on, and they're probably going to be gone in the first 20 or 25 picks in round one. Which first round prospect right now that you've seen um, in your uh, in your mocks and other people's mocks scares you the most? This has been my go to answer, uh, Derek Brown from Auburn. Oh, and, how dare you! As I an know. Auburn, how dare you! I know, I know, and, and I mean, I don't know if if you've ever tweeted at me about it. Which, if you have, it's totally fine. I, you know, everyone can have a difference of opinion. We all see things differently on film. Um, I've definitely gotten some like Auburn fans being like, "Hey, what the heck? This guy's like the greatest." defensive lineman ever crazy like the biggest recruit in the country went there and looked apart like as a freshman and i'm i'm not saying that he that like he scares me and that i believe he's going to be like out of the nfl in three years i actually think if you are talking about floor and ceiling i think he might have like the highest floor really of of any prospect but it's where he specializes he's a great run uh stopper he has the biggest tackling radius i've seen of a defensive tackle he's six five doesn't miss a tackle can get off blocks in the run game but he just to me i think he has a ways to go as a pass rusher so you factor that in that he doesn't have a ton of pass rushing moves um his bull rush is very good it's probably the best bull rush in the class but you have to be able to beat NFL interior offensive lineman with your hands. I think he has a ways to go there. I don't know how great of an athlete he is. Describing Jadavion Clowney, aren't you? Hey, if back in 2014, which it's funny that you bring that up. In 2014, I had Khalil Mack definitely ahead of Jadavion Clowney. That's mm. that's Clowney. Like Clowney was this super athlete that won with speed and power and didn't really have much else. And truly, it's funny that we're seeing him sit 
on the open market now when everyone's like, oh, he's going to get $25 million per season, quarterback money. But I think a lot of the league realizes, hey, this is a great run defender, not really nuanced. And that's what I think Clowney and Derek Brown, both big recruits in their respective high school classes, that were able, even in the SEC, to dominate with their athleticism and their physical profiles. But once you get to the NFL, you have to be able to do more. And Derek Brown didn't test particularly well um, at the combine. So that was a little bit of, of a red flag. He kind of reminds me of Marcel Darius, who's been in the league mm. for a bunch of years now. Like he had one all pro season in Buffalo with the Bills. Um, I mean, he had some off field stuff that he had to work on, didn't have the best upbringing, um, dealt with a lot, but he was never like truly dominant for a long stretch. He was the number three overall pick in the 2011 class. Um, where there's Cam Newton, AJ Green got picked right after him, Von Miller right in front of him. Um, and Marshall Darius probably is not going to be on the Jaguars this year. Some team will pick him up. He'll play 400, 500 snaps, be a good run defender, but he was never able to take it to the next level as a pass rusher. So I think Derek Brown 100% is going in the first round. He, I, I'm almost positive he's going to be a 10-year pro in the NFL. I just feel like if a team picks him, number eight overall, number nine, if the Jaguars pick him inside the top 10, they'll be like, oh man, we wish we got more pass rushing ability from this player. We like him. We're not cutting him. He's a good part of our team, but the NFL moving to being more pass heavy, you need to be getting pass rush from the inside. Which quarterback do you think is most likely to bust of all the first round quarterback options? Oh, that is a great question. And I, it's funny. I I'm higher on Justin Herbert than a lot of people, but my mind instantly went there Be- mm. just because I'm a little worried. Like he can make throws and, and, and I'm not, this is not a hot take is not clickbait, whatever you want to say. Um, he can make throws that Tua and Joe Burrow cannot make. His arm is really that naturally powerful um, across the field, down the field with velocity but I was just the little red flag that I have waving with him is that in his senior season, his coach went to this run heavy attack where they threw a bunch of screens. They didn't really ever let him like loose. And there was a few games early in the season where he looked like potential number one overall pick candidate. And then like as they got into their into their Pac-12 schedule and in some bigger games, like they didn't want to lean on this guy that came back for his senior season that has all the talent in the world. So I like a team um, that would let him free and, and kind of take the reins off. I think he can be a really good quarterback. He kind of reminds me um, of a, a much more polished version of Josh Allen. Like I didn't really like Josh Allen coming – like not really – especially where the Bills picked him at number seven overall. I had him as a second rounder. Um, but the arm, the athleticism, the size, um, some of the wild throws, it was like, well, yeah, this guy's going to be a starting NFL quarterback. That's where I am with Justin Herbert. I think he's better at getting through his reads than Josh Allen was. Um, I, I think his footwork, just you can tell he was coached better at Oregon than Josh Allen was at Wyoming, which is probably not surprising. But if he's not in a really good situation with a great offensive line, I could see Justin Herbert. I just think he's a little bit too timid that, that you want. And it's not anything about in the locker room because obviously I don't know much about that. I mean just on the field. I want to see him rip the ball more through tight windows that he does occasionally, but in some big moments, 
uh, he tends to not do that. So he's probably the guy. And then very quickly, Jordan Love from Utah State has similarities to Patrick Mahomes, but he's got to land in a situation that where the offensive coordinator is going to let him just freestyle, run outside the pocket, throw across his body, a good offensive line, good receivers like Patrick Mahomes has. Um, so I, I don't, I can't guarantee that he's going to land in an Andy Reid, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey type of scenario like Patrick Mahomes has. And that's taking nothing away from Patrick Mahomes. I think he would be good anywhere. But Jordan Love, who's been the kind of the late riser, um, he, he would be probably the second guy that that really is like truly boomer bust. Like he's either going to be playing like Patrick Mahomes or be like out of the league in two or three years. Yeah, I would agree. And I think like New Orleans getting him or even the Patriots taking him late in the first, like they're just different teams where Jordan Love is one of those guys. We see that every year where his whoever drafts him dictates whether or not he's going to be in the league two years from now. And uh, that's a scary thing if you're Jordan Love um, because you don't have a say in that. Um, Justin Herbert, I'm really not as worried about. I think him, Tua, Tua Health permitted, and Joe, like I'm confident they're going to be starting quarterbacks in this league five years from now. I am not really at all concerned. I think yeah, I mean teams that talk themselves into Eason and Prom later in the first, absolute bust. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I'm out on both of them. My like sneaky guy who I actually think is going to be a franchise quarterback like two years from now, like he some team is going to have him is Jalen Hurts. Oh, I would bet on Jalen Hurts out of anyone else outside, even more so than Jordan Love. He'd be like my quarterback four in this draft. Yeah, I mean just for the record, like I said that like uh, Justin Herbert popped into my head first, but. Like I have him, I got to kind of recalibrate my uh, big board here with about a, uh, a month to go until the draft, but pre combine, I had Justin Herbert, like inside my top 15 overall prospects. So I do like him more than, um, most analysts. Like if, if like what I said is, is kind of just my little concern with him and that why I think he is a little bit scheme and situation dependent, which most quarterbacks are, but I, I'm more with you that, that I think Justin Herbert will be a starting quarterback in the NFL in five years. I just th- have a feeling that we're always going to be like, oh man, that week two game, he looked like an MVP candidate. And then weeks three, four, and five, like where was he when his team needed him in the fourth quarter? Why was he you know, pulling the ball down and running with it when there was maybe an open receiver for him? Like that's the only kind Why of air- throwing the ball out of the end zone. The yeah, last play of yeah, yeah. Against the, in a big game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like kind of exactly stuff like that. Which maybe that's nitpicking, but I think with someone like Justin Herbert, it's easier to nitpick because the talent is undeniably there, and the size and the athleticism, and a big thing for me, the experience that he's a four-year starter in at a major program in a major conference. I don't think there's any way that you can replace that. And I think that's why, I mean, I guess Kyler Murray had a pretty good rookie season, but like Dwayne Haskins, um, Mark Sanchez going back, like guys coming into the league that are one year starters, I just think take too long to acclimate. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you almost a hundred percent, very close to a hundred percent that yes, I think Justin Herbert will be, um, you know, a starter in five years and be a pretty good one. But with Jalen Hurts, very quickly on him, um, I think his what he's done, like in the locker room and persevering through everything in Alabama, learning the new system, the air raid, which is kind of becoming very popular in the NFL, um, that did a lot for him. And hopefully, he lands with a coordinator that's going to like 
I'm not going to say use him like Lamar Jackson because he's not that type of athlete, but like use him creatively um, and not ask him to come in and play and start right away as a rookie. I'm not going to say that I'm as high on him as you and think that, uh, you know, he's going to be a franchise quarterback in a few years. But, I mean, he's defied the odds in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah. That's a lot of it for me. Like, I just yeah. I don't want to bet against him. Yeah. I really don't. And I see that. The right, like, if the Raiders take him and they have Derek Carr there and they have Marcus Mariota and they just throw Hurts in that locker room, like, I I could see Hurts being the starting quarterback in Oakland in two years or in Las Vegas. That's going to take some time to get used to. Um, I don't know. I think he is just someone yeah, that... Yeah, I can see that. I, not Russell Wilson-y because there's only one Russell Wilson, but just that same kind of guy that we just second or third rounder and he just stays around and he like shines in camp and he like rallies the troops more than the guy in front of him mm-hmm. where teammates just seem to glob onto him and just want to go to battle with him more so than the incumbent. Like you could see players preferring Hertz over Derek Carr over the summer, right? Like yes, you just absolutely. see that kind of thing that. forming. Yep. Um, and he just seems like someone Gruden would love as a leader because Carr just seems to be the exact opposite personality wise. Um, do you think the twenty one twenty or the twenty twenty one quarterback class is better than this class? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit early. Like the jury's still out on that. But with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who respectively in the same quarter in the same high school class were like the number one and mm-hmm. number two quarterbacks uh, coming into college football, they are head and shoulders. I mean, I don't want to say head and shoulders, I guess, but they're both better prospects than Joe Burrow. I think. I mean, they've already started more than Joe Burrow or, or at the same amount um, when you're talking about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, what he has just as his, with his arm strength, his athleticism. Like I think if either of those two were in this year's draft class, especially Trevor Lawrence, they would be the first pick. And so I, I don't really know who's going to fill out behind them. And, and as we're seeing this year uh, with someone like Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts, um, that there'll be guys that will fill in behind them. So if you're looking at just in terms of top heaviness, um, I would go. I would rather have a class that has Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields ahead of Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. And, and I don't. I'm not going to say that it's like it's a miles difference between them, but I think it's like a sizable gap between those two at the top and um, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. And I like Justin Herbert. Like I said, I, I, I kind of had Jordan Love grow on me. But beyond that, I, I'm not like crazy high on a lot of these other quarterback prospects, not like the 2018 draft class um, that had five quarterbacks in the first round. So, uh, yeah, I would say right now there's probably a lot of GM saying, hey, this 2021 class, if we could get one of those guys, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields from Ohio State, we would be set um, because they really check all the boxes. What did you think of seeing that Espinenza uh, is going to move to the defensive tackle potentially? I think that's the move for him. Um, he said at the combine that like he played there, but he doesn't really know the nuances yet. But if you look at him athletically, and I, I'm not trying to be like overly nerdy with like numbers and everything, but I think teams are really putting a lot of weight on combine numbers from an edge rusher spot. Like. He's a lower tier athlete for the position. Like he's just, and it's kind of shows on film too. Like he's big, powerful, but kind of a slow get off. Um, I think he's decently bendy on the field around the corner, but he's not, I mean, against NFL tackles, he's not going to win with speed and dip around the corner. But there was games later in the season 
where Iowa used him inside, where his he could use his power. And for defensive tackle, if you look at his combine, he's like a above average to a really good athlete for the defensive tackle spot. He's 6'4", 6'5", 280 pounds. That's kind of like defensive tackle size when it comes to nickel packages um, that teams are moving their their defensive ends around to get mismatches. Um, I, I would be like, if I was a fan of a team that picked AJ Epinesa, I would be like, okay, I hope that this team is going to play him on first downs on the edge, occasionally on second downs on the edge, but then third down in that kind of obvious passing situation, which almost every down is becoming a passing situation. Now I want him inside against smaller squattier slower guards because i think that's where um he can still hold up strength wise but you can really take advantage um of how much better of an athlete he is and the, the fact that he does use his hands well he knows how to be a good pass rushing specialist with his pass rushing moves so that's where i think it will either be if he sticks on the edge um we could be talking about a quasi bust in a few years but if the team that picks him, moves him around. I think we could be talking about one of the better, more versatile defensive linemen in the league in a few seasons. All right, I got to talk about my uh, my favorite prospect in this draft, Lavishka Chenault. Ooh, Love yeah, this guy. No one watched him in college, but he was Tyree Kill for Colorado for two years. He got injured last year. I remember two years ago, this guy was being used all over the field. Colorado, Steve Montez, and all those guys. They were just throwing it up to him. They were doing all these reverses. They were letting him throw touchdowns. They were letting him just escape. Like he was just someone one-on-one that nobody could cover. Yes, it's the Pac-12, but also Lavishka Chenault can literally do everything. And when I think about how NFL offenses operate now, when you go through different box scores and you go through um, just targeting numbers and look at like who's looking at who, guess what? The Chiefs go to 75% of their plays are targeting either Kelsey or Tari Kill. Um, the Patriots, when they see a matchup they like, they're going to do it 16 times. We saw him do it against the Chargers in the postseason, not this year, but the year before where he had like, I think James White had like 15 catches or something in that game. Like they, they're just teams, the smart teams target the same guys over and over again because teams just can't cover them. So it's like, why stop doing what works? Derrick Henry, guess what? You can't, you can't stop the run. We're just going to keep running over you until you can. LaVishka Chenault seems like he falls in that category where it's like, yeah, if you throw, if you target him 12 times a game, I think he's going to have nine catches for 153 yards a lot more often than not. I I think we're overthinking Lavishka Chenault. And I think there's, with t- the guys like Tyreek Hill in this, in this league that just drive defensive coordinators crazy, he seems like a guy that I, the receiver position has just changed so much where I'm like, it's not necessarily I want a Randy Moss. I just want someone who's just a Swiss Army knife guy that I can you line up in the backfield line up out wide all over the place am I crazy for that no I don't think you are at all and it's funny that you just talked about how like he really wasn't able to be covered in the Pac-12 like the past couple years I think that's true but me watching him I see someone that's I'm not going to say that I'm like with you that he was impossible to cover but I see an unbelievably talented yards after the catch wide receiver yep. and at the combine six one two twenty seven. i mean that's close to like what saquon barkley was he was six foot 233 so imagine trying to tackle like saquon barkley after he catches a pass from the slot like not an easy thing to do so i think 
Chanel ran a little slower. He ran uh, four, five, eight. I don't think he was 100% healthy. Um, I was kind of confused as to why he and his agent decided that he should run but not do anything else in the combine um, when he ultimately ran that slower time. But like a lot of what you were saying, just get him the ball. Jet sweeps, uh, end arounds, let him be a, a wildcat quarterback, give him handoffs like a running back because he has a running back build. His contact balance, his acceleration, his vision, his cutting ability at that size are tremendous. So if we're talking five, ten years ago, he would maybe be kind of a ill fit for a lot of offenses. But with teams prioritizing, so many teams prioritizing yards after the catch now, um, if his health checks out, which that's kind of my big concern for him, I'm not going to predict an injury or say he's injury prone because I know a lot of injuries can be fluky. Um, if he's, his health checks out, I think him going in the back end of the first round to presumably a pretty good team that um, no, Chanel could ultimately be one of the best picks in this uh, first round of this draft. Yeah, I am. Um, I am hoping like maybe the Cowboys, the Patriots, they're just the Chiefs even. Um, there are a lot of interesting teams that I think um, would make sense for LaVishka Chenault. And I, uh, I'm excited to see what happens there. A um, couple quick things before we go. The Raiders, how do you see them playing with their picks? Well, they really addressed linebacker in free agency, signing Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski. Um, mm. So that's like was a huge hole on their defense that I think Mike Mayock was like, okay, we can't, we can't have patchwork with like Vontez perfect and Brandon Marshall, older players. Um, so I, I had been going linebacker for them in a lot of mock drafts. Um, I, I still think they need wide receiver. They obviously had the fiasco with Antonio Brown. Um, I could see them with their first pick in round one, going someone like Henry Ruggs. Um, if he was there, whoever is there of the top three, whether it be Ruggs, Judy or CD lamb. Um, I could see that happening. Um, and then they still have some holes on the defensive side. Cornerback would make a lot of sense. And as we kind of talked about with maybe Jalen hurts, I, I think because Derek Carr has been serviceable, but never was able to push the envelope enough that they could be the dark horse team to pick Jordan love early or, you know, ultimately go quarterback in round one that people aren't really seeing that as a viable option now that they have Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota there. Yeah, I'm I'm just very interested to see what the Raiders do because they've just Mayock's been busy this offseason and they've had a lot of picks the last two years and I want to see uh, how he continues filling this draft out and I think they have a lot of chips that they can play. Um, last thing and then we'll go. Um, going back now that hindsight is is here. Looking at the 2019 draft, which guys do you think you you were just you look back now and you're like I completely missed this guy and then guys now you're like I I had that one right now that we've have a year of tape I was I was right about this one. 2019, um, yeah, I mean I'm trying to think of like on like either side of that. Definitely had um, you know a variety of both. Um, I actually had Drew Locke as my number one quarterback. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, yeah, I, I thought he was, I love experience, um, at the quarterback spot, like I said earlier with Justin Herbert. So 
I'm I'm not going to say that I like hit that one over Kyler Murray because he won the rookie of the year. His stats were a little bit inflated, um, but he did have a good rookie season. But we did see Drew Locke down the stretch, like play pretty well for the Broncos and, and that they weren't like a game away from the playoffs, but they ultimately, um, if they would have went to Drew Locke a little bit earlier, they maybe could have been truly in the playoff hunt um, down the stretch. And that for Vic Fangio, his coach to come out and initially say, he's not ready. He's just a, he's a thrower of the ball. He's not a passer. He's not a quarterback. And then he comes in, um, when they really had him as their third quarterback, most of the season, he was injured earlier in the year and the, how well he played. That's one that I'm feeling pretty good about. Um, and I'm not purposely like blanking on one that I got wrong just to say that I didn't get any wrong. Cause I definitely have, um, Oh, actually I know one. Josh Jacobs, who to, mm. who to me, um, I don't have a vote, but I put out just on Twitter right at the end of the season, I do it every year, my vote for the Rookie of the Year. Um, I, I thought just watching his film this year on the Raiders, I was like, wow, this guy is outstanding. Like contact balance, multiple cuts um, through the second and third levels, speed down the field, catching the football. I just didn't really see that at Alabama. Um, I, I think I had him as my number four, my number five running back. I, I just saw someone truly that went down on contact a little bit too early. Um, and, 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 you know, like first contact, he was to the ground. Um, and a lot of people really, really liked him, but, uh, that's one that after such a good rookie season that he had landed in a good spot with the Raiders offensive line. Um, but that I probably was wrong on that because a lot of people had him as con- like, he was a consensus top running back went in the first round. I thought just the value wasn't there and that there was three or four other running backs that were better than him. Um, but that one is trending toward me being completely wrong about. Hmm. Jacobs is like that guy. I'm just going to remember the Monday night football game. That's it. That's yeah. my recollection of Josh Jacobs is he was really good in that game. And then Jonathan Abrams was also really good. Like the Raiders had all their great picks look great really early on in the mm-hmm. season and they all got injured and knocked down. We're like, Oh, yep. that's a shame. Um, yeah. Classic Raiders. So, all right, man. Well, this has been great. Very informative. I feel like I learned a lot tonight on this podcast. So Chris, I appreciate the time. Um, is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? No, just head to cbssports.com. I'm, I'm going to be obviously ramping up with a lot of final evaluations um, as we lead into the draft, I kind of my area that I was assigned, which is kind of ironic this past college football season was the wide receiver spot. So like the fact that it turned out to be, and there was hype for it, but the fact that it turned out to be like such as I'm really excited about, cause I've watched like every snap for all these guys. So look out for a lot of wide receiver stuff. Um, but just overall final big boards, final mock drafts, um, in some fun one-off articles, just some side pieces over the next uh, 30 days until we get to the NFL draft. And, and certainly all the live draft coverage we'll have at CBSSports.com. All right, Chris, good luck as uh, the NFL draft nears. Hopefully <laughs> we have it on time and uh, we get that escape that we all desperately need right now. Chris, definitely stay safe and uh, I appreciate it. All right, Chase. Thanks a lot. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, 
If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase Thomas podcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need. Um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.